Welcome to Old Dog New Tricks. Everyone has heard this saying before, but today we're going to put that theory to the test. My co-host John and I are going to be talking about what is Ethereum, the start of smart contracts, and the beginning of DeFi. We will start with an overview about Ethereum and how it evolved from Bitcoin. So how are we doing today, John? Yeah, so when I first got involved with crypto, Austin, I had some rudimentary understanding of what Bitcoin was as a medium of exchange, uh, cyber medium of exchange. And I had some rudimentary understanding of what Ethereum uh, was the the blockchain or a blockchain upon which information is maintained in a public ledger. Uh, Then I learned a little bit more about Ethereum and its other applications, which interested me more, not the least of which were smart contracts. I didn't really understand that term beyond just an intuitive sense of what what it might mean. What it sounds like, yeah. Right, exactly. But I was a little bit hard pressed to get it down to to pragmatics. Okay, I understand in theory what a smart contract could be. Certain certain variables are achieved and something happens automatically sort of thing without the need for, for human intervention. But I didn't really have at my fingertips a lot of practical examples. And so I thought that, that this might be an opportunity for you to, to fill in those blanks just a little bit as to how Ethereum and the blockchain technology with respect to smart contracts can actually be used out there. For sure. And how that's beneficial. Absolutely. So we'll kind of go over just what what Ethereum is. So Ethereum is a blockchain layer one, which means that it is the same thing as Bitcoin, except it has a little bit of an upgrade. All right. So it was founded and it went live on in 2015. So it's been around for, you know, seven years or so. And what it does is it has the same exact mechanism that we're talking about in the last episode where little bits of data are stored in sequential order for these blocks. But the new upgrade is called a smart contract. And a smart contract is a program that is added to the blockchain. And the program can execute when a specific set of conditions are met. Um, So really the big benefit of this is it executes pretty quickly. So both parties that are involved will f- know the final outcome of this smart contract use case within about a minute or two once the once the contract ends, all right? So that is usually the overarching structure of it is Bitcoin kind of built this first little one trick pony where you can have currency, the currency can go anywhere in the world very quickly with uh, very little interference. But there is nothing that can kind of build on top of it. It can only do one thing and only can send money. Whereas now with smart contracts, people can build programs. And that is a much more value. To me, that is much more valuable in the long term. Because guess what? Computers use all of these programs to execute all of these things that we do. And you can see how much software has taken over the world. When you were around, programs were super basic and we're going back to that time, you know, how you were feeding cards into your old machine. <laughs> when I was around, it was a stack of cards in my backpack. <laughs> yeah. So when you're feeding, you know, we're back there now with Ethereum. Like we're, you know, we're, we have really basic applications, super basic. So mainly what people are using these for are staking and lending and very simplistic functions. Um, and as we grow and as the kind of system 
develops more and more, we will start to see larger and larger programs, I, I feel. Okay, so, you know, the whole, if that, what do you think about that? What, what are your thoughts on what I talked about there? I think it's a great application, particularly the idea of no third-party interference, because yeah. no third-party interference means no additional third-party costs. Exactly. Um, or and minimalizing the, the, the cost of them because they're it's same thing with Bitcoin. It's secured by miners. They still see, need some of their money. And a good representation of that is how much data you can use. So if you were trying to put an MP3, so one song, onto the blockchain, it's going to cost you probably close to $100,000 because the block space size doesn't account for that amount of, of data. So it's going to cost you an absorbent amount of money to put that much data. So usually the whole point is you have to have a super tiny amount of files, a, a very small application at this time frame because of how expensive the block space is. And we've talked about that a little bit before, like what block space is and how it costs money because the miners are adding it to this large system over and over, right? So as we get farther down the road, kind of how we were talking about last time where the, the amount of data stored gets a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, went from floppies to, you know, terabyte hard drives and, you know, 25 years. Now we're kind of starting over where we can only have a super tiny amount of data, but still even just that tiny amount of data has a ton of use cases. So, you know, we kind of go into that now where we can go in, what is lending on, on Ethereum? That's one of the biggest use cases and it's called decentralized finance. All right, so if you haven't heard this term before, in your traditional banking system, how you kind of get that is is a, you're going to give money to a bank. They're going to hold it for you. They're going to pay you a super tiny amount of interest, right? So you, you know, average money market savings is probably close to, you know, 0.1, you know, percentage. It's a very, very low percent of, of money paid and interest. So what happens now is... They are doing all the work. They're doing all of this other stuff to give you that very tiny amount of percent. But what usually happens is they have the difference between those numbers, right? So they're collecting possibly close to 8% or depending on what they're using for this to generate their interest, right? So they pay you very little, use all your money to generate themselves more interest than the, what they're actually paying you. And we've seen that so happen for years. So decentralized finance is going to invade the spread, so to speak? Exactly. So the goal <laughs> here is with, you know, you can't just go find somebody, hey, man, I'm going to lend you my money and we're going to have a contract. You, There's no backing power to you, right? So like if I'm going to lend you 10K, I don't, I don't have a lot of say. It's going to be risky for me to lend you that money. And what they what banks do is they pool that money and then lend it to, for housing for whatever the purpose is so that anyone can take from that pool. But again, they charge fees, they charge just a flat percentage, something that they take from your amount of money. So with this case is now that we have smart contracts and the smart contracts is a pretty much just a program that matches individuals that want to lend or borrow money. So there's a couple of ways that we can do this. Any questions there? Yeah, let me ask, ask you this. So from 
when I was a first time purchaser yeah. of Bitcoin and Ethereum and some other lesser knowns mm -hmm. at the time, what immediately ran through my head, because I have a securities background, yeah. is, well, when I own securities, I have an eye toward the appreciation of the price of that share of stock, the appreciation of the value of the company as reflected in its price. And I also have an interest in the, its earnings, that it, that it has earnings. And if so, what percent of that earnings are committed to dividends, which is the, 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 the earnings Passive that actually make, well, it's the earnings that actually make it to shareholders. And so when I thought about Bitcoin, I thought, well, that's more like gold. I don't see it. It will appreciate in price, hopefully, but I don't see any sort of earnings mechanism. And when I thought of Ethereum, I thought this, the same thing. But now we have this concept of staking as it would, reply, as it would apply to Ethereum and Ethereum-like entities. For sure. And we have this idea of wrapping coin, which in my mind is more along the idea of, of lending it. And actually in that respect, it would behave more like a, a bond than a security. So if yep. you own a bond, you've lent, if you own a, a government general obligation bond for the city of, of Chicago, then yep. Chicago's your debtor, right? Sure. And you get a coupon with a certain level of interest. So I, I'm interested in understanding more about the concept of, of staking and, and perhaps wrapping. Maybe we should talk a little bit about Ethereum and staking and what that involves yeah, sure. to as a place to com continue. Perfect. Yeah. So he brought up a couple things. So staking, there's staking, wrapping, and lending. All three of these things are a different idea or function with Ethereum. Okay. So staking is you are similar to how the miners work for Bitcoin. So we mentioned this last time that they were in the middle of upgrading their systems to go to proof of stake. Um, so you take a chunk of 32 Ethereum and you're putting it in a pretty much like a safety deposit box that allows the network to confirm transactions. So instead of your computer doing all the work, you're having the so instead of your computer doing all of the work where they're solving algorithms and all that, you are use a, a pretty much more like a voting mechanism. So you have 32 Ethereum that is your stake, right? And if you say the transaction is happening and it's the what is actually happening on the chain and you agree to that terms, like so I'm getting one Ethereum, you're getting minus one Ethereum, I say, yes, that's a valid transaction. I've seen the proof. Everyone else is also voting on that happening. So, you know, say I have a node, you have a node, someone else has a node. All three of us say, yep, he sent him one Ethereum. He sent him one Ethereum. He sent him one Ethereum. But say there's one other person that says, no, that didn't happen. He's trying to be a bad actor saying we're trying to either cause money to be spent improperly or sent to the wrong address. He will get a slash attack, meaning that that will it will take some of his stake. So it's in your best interest to solidify the network properly. And that's how the, the proof of stake function works. 
So everyone is voting on these transactions in, in real time. And when you are trying to do a something that is wrong or a bad, playing to be a bad actor in the space, your stake or your node gets gets cut. You get cut, you get fees that are take each time you do a wrong transaction or you're not online, you get a, a attack. So over time, this is a, a good mechanism because it is something that it helps secure the network. It, it's a, extremely expensive to cause a problem with, you know, upwards of a couple hundred, a couple hundred million dollars of to like try to buy out the system. You have to have 99% accuracy on, on agreements for a, for a block to go through. So over time, it's something that the new mechanism is much more energy efficient, has higher throughput, so you can get more tra transactions through. And it is a new mechanism where you're not using enough much energy yourself, and you can make roughly about 4.3% interest right now on, on, your, on your Ethereum. So, you know, it's, it's, it has that passive earnings a little bit. You are securing the network for the future, and that's kind of how that mechanism works. So that's staking. Lending is completely... May, may, yeah, go ahead. may I ask you a question about that, Austin? And that is, yeah. if, my, if I want my involvement to be less than being a node and, and owning 30 or more Ethereum, which I think is the structure right now, yeah. then another option for me would be to go to a staking group, yes? A staking group? So you would be like... Yeah, you'd be, In other words, I, I could... I could lend, I could, I could make, I could generate mm, earnings, quotes, from my Ethereum mm -hmm. by contracting with a staking group so yes. that then they use my Ethereum and they, mm -hmm. in return, I get some sort of a little bit less. Inter interest yeah. payment for that. Yeah. So instead of like the 4.3 that the, the, the node runners are getting, you're going to be getting more like, you know, like three or something like that. They, they, there's a little bit of a gap in between to pay for the nodes because those are those are using energy and uptime and and you know your personal energy and time to to function right. So there is a, there's a couple of them. There's one called Rocket Pool, which is a very new. It's like a newer but decentralized one that's really good. There's also Lido Finance. Both of those are very interesting. They allow you to not have to have the full 32 Ethereum to run a node um, right. for staking. So let me see if I if I'm accurate on this. So if yeah. others are like me, with my understanding at this point, I would be less likely to want to function as a staking node. I would be more likely to want to lend my Ethereum to an entity that does that in exchange for the percentage in fees or whatever it is that, that allows me to do that. However, the one thing that occurs to me that would occur, yeah, that would occur would be, I now have generated some contract risk, haven't I? That's a question for you because I'm trusting that, that person, pool, pool, per person or entity or that's doing the, yep. that's doing the pooling. Yep. So I probably would want to have a pretty high level of confidence that they're legit and doing the right thing and yeah, um, so, behave properly. Exactly. So we've come, we've, you know, the whole introduction of the smart contract concept, you have people, it's all open source. So people can see all these contracts, right? 
that are that are functioning, which pretty much means that there's a bunch of little applications and just how in general everyone's looking for an exploit. You know, look at, you know, everyone has a there's so many hacks that happen just in general around all all of the Internet space. Everyone's trying to get into these applications all the time to to find loopholes. And so, yes, there is what they call contract risk because you are putting your money in something that is, you know, an application that's holding your, your funds. So, again, that's like that safety deposit box, what I was talking about. You have the access to the keys for that safety deposit box, but say the bank burns down, it could be a problem, right? So, yes. and the same function is similar here. So, you would want to be making sure that you're into a contract that has a lot of either time, so it's been around for a long time. And I know this is an early space, so when you say around for a long time, it's a couple years, right? So that right. hasn't had any function. So there's a couple of those that have been around for a longer time. The, the Rocket Pool is a bit of a newer one, but it has very good, has a bunch of audits. Every time new contracts out, there's companies that audit these things to find any loopholes. Um, and usually they, you know, the more the audits they have, the the better off they are, you know, so... You're looking for lots of audits, lots of time, uptime, so that the that you're not looking the, and not and little upgrades, right? So if they keep upgrading the contract, they have to have a a new audit every time. All right, so there you really want to be careful about putting your just how he said you, you want to be very careful about what you're putting your money into, right? Because these could cause these these sort of problems, um, but. At the same time, if you are running your own node, you don't really risk that. But I know that is a lot, lot greater amount of time and money and research to put in. But it is something that is definitely worth looking into if you plan to be in Ethereum for a long time. Yes. And also, I think it's important to mention, just because you, you taught me this, I, I, I'm a, a fiat thinker. I'm yes. a securities-oriented thinker. So when I think of interest rate in return, I tend to think in U.S. dollars, fiat currency, but that's not really how it works as I understand it. I'm actually being, the interest yeah. I'm being paid in is, is an Ethereum coin. And so the reason that that's a, an important distinction is arguably Ethereum coin can be much more volatile than fiat currency. And Absolutely. so you have to have that that understanding and that and that appetite for it as well. Is that correct to say? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So you you definitely want to be wary of these things. They they are risky and stuff like that. You are looking for things that have you know, risk and in, in, in included in these things. So you definitely want to be careful. Okay. Can you talk to me a little bit more, or, or for the listeners, about so? There's staking, there's lending, and there's wrapping. Could you talk a little bit about wrapping and distinguish it from lending? For sure. Yeah. So how? So the very first thing we talked about was lending. So lending was the whole portion of we are now our own bank. So there's an application that is now a bank where everyone can pool their money. So you, I send in ten grand. You send in ten grand. And Ethereum, and then what's happening is someone else may want to use that that money because they want a loan. Just how pretty much all of finance works today, right? So when these loans are opened up, right? So you're able to; these are all fully collateralized loans, meaning 
that you have to have a more money than you're loaning. So say I want to take a $10,000 loan. Usually at minimum, you're going to be required to have $30,000 worth of assets to lock up to take that $10,000 loan, right? So all of this is no credit system. It's all mathematically backed. So if your asset drops by a very large percentage, it just sells it to cover the cost of what you took that loan for. So it's okay. definitely so different it, it, than... So it, in, in, my lang- in my language from the stock market, you'd get a margin call. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you get so, to yeah, pay so. up. <laughs> you got to pay the or, pipe. Or, or you got to start <laughs> selling some stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To keep that, yeah, to keep your money, the larger side of it safe, you have to lower your, your margin, right? So that is definitely something that happened pretty regularly in the, the just the finance finance markets. But how this mechanism works with lending is, you know, we're on the side of the people that are calling the margins here, which is not mm-hmm. usually the case for most of finance. So you're able to secure these loans that are mathematically backed and they're already fully collateralized. So if it does happen to crash, you're, you're fully going to get all of your money back. I and see. that's one of the beauties of the decentralized finance stuff. We've seen it happen really recently. It's been put through the ringer right here during all of this yeah. whole market right. crash over the past couple of months. We've seen all of the DeFi protocols. They work perfectly fine. They do exactly what you were planning to do. If you were too risky and you had a bunch of leverage, you lost your money. But anyone who was lending those originally and not being on the risky side, they did super well because they got all of that money. They got all of that interest. You were able to get at, at the peak of all of this in like May and then back in November, Ethereum lending was getting upwards of, I know the highest I ever saw was 18%. Mm-hmm. Which is, and you're collateralized times three, as distinguished exactly. from, say, a conventional bank loan, which might be 80-20 or 70-30, depending upon valuation. And the reason that you're over, so I just follow the line of thought, the yeah, reason sure. in this situation it requires being over collateralized, like the ratio of three to one that you just mentioned, is because of the volatility in the industry yeah, is, because, is that yeah, what they, drives it yeah that's the function of of how it functions yeah so they, there is an insane amount of volatility that is what is just how the space is working so i would say at minimum people collateralize by 300 percent. that means a 60 a 66 percent drop is going to cause serious problems i usually err on the side if i'm using anything like that i use err on the side of like 400 to 500 percent. so you're not having other issues and that's generally how i, I personally do it but so so because of the volatility and be, and therefore the need to just bear with me quotes mm-hmm. over collateralized so sure. then if you just extend that theoretically does that suggest that the the lending activity in the crypto space is going to be more constrained than it's historically been in the fiat currency context I would say yes. Like the the amount of leverage that you're out to, you're allowed to use is going to be much much lower because these you're not able to. Right, I would say more on the other side. You're like, oh, I'm going to put up my house. Like this is, I would say that that's a similar mechanism here where you're taking a, a loan against your house is what the mechanism here is, right? So you're able to pull the value. Let's say you pull out 
a third of the value of your house. I would say that's a similar mechanism. You're, you're putting a bunch of money up front to use it in another way. And I would say that's the mechanism. So again, it's people losing their houses in 2008 um, due, due to a crash is because people were highly overvalued their assets. And then when, when markets crash, we see just how our last one, we're seeing inflation being very high and that correlates with a decrease in asset price. So it is... It is more of like a Wild West type situation where there is no safety net. You can do you can do things, you can put your collateral up, but again, I'm I'm saying on the staying on the side of the lender is much more beneficial. Just how the banks win in all these situations when everyone's putting up their house as collateral to do things. Guess who ends up with that that house when the markets go down? Right. Sure. Yeah. And the, the, the lender and it's it's worth perhaps 30 or 40 cents on the dollar and it's, it can be a mess. But it's really an important point that you make about this because people from my generation will have a different reference frame about yeah. le about leverage and leveraging and leveraging capability. And so what you're telling me is that leveraging in the crypto space is more constrained because of the volatility at this yeah. point, you know, at, at this, this juncture. At this, at this time and place, okay. yeah. I would definitely I guess, say that with the that. amount of volatility, it is definitely a much more risky side to be that person taking the loan against your assets unless you have a very high collateralization rate of over the recommended side. Just because you know we've recently seen Ethereum and Bitcoin crash. Bitcoin's around like 68% crash. Ethereum's at like 80%. You know, So these are definitely things that you would want to, you know, people who are in these systems were, are getting liquidated. Yeah, so yes. if- you you, you want to be making sure you're doing smart things because there is no person to kind of hold your hand. And again, we we see this in just general finance already too. You know what I mean? Like it's very right. common that we see these things happen every every so often, every ten years or something like that. We see either a housing crash at this point or you know some sort of downward trend in the bear market where people are losing assets. Right. Well, just to complete the staking, lending, wrapping, wrapping. Part. Can yes. you tell us about, help explain that to me? Yeah. So what a wrapping means is there's all these assets such as Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dogecoin, all the other ones that have no function besides transfer of value. So what the wrapping is, is doing is you're taking an asset that is has no smart contracts and you're issuing a new token on Ethereum that is able to use smart contracts. So the function that I'm referring to here is most commonly used with Bitcoin. So people wrap up their Bitcoin on their on the Bitcoin chain and then bring it over to Ethereum. And that is usually done through, again, this would be another risk for contract risk because you they are held holding those in a, a, car, a contract. Well, you're doing business with the wrapper. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So again, each one of these things over time, I will say that more of this, more and more of this will become permissionless. That's the goal with all these things. Like we're working towards that, that, that goal of more decentralized, less permissions, and we need sturdier and more data to be able to be stored before those things can happen. I, I personally think, but we're, we're starting in the beginning of that phase where- yes. Work. And I, I think the big takeaway from for me from what you've said, which is really has great a lot of value, is that there is in in lending, wrapping, staking, at this yes. stage in the development of the industry, there can be significant contract risk 
in doing that. And yeah. so sort of buyer beware, just be aware of that. And so might want to do your homework a little bit. Absolutely. I would say the key to all of these situations is, and like we're saying, we, we want to educate people. We, you know, there is a lot, if you were planning on doing these things, you want to be doing a ton of research because you want to know all of the points of weaknesses, all the possible attack vectors that are, are on these things. And again, it's yes. it's same thing with just how software is. There's always, you know, you see Apple updates their software constantly for their phones because people are trying to attack it all the time, right? So they want yes. to get into these databases. So again, the same thing functions here. It's just they're they're these usually these amount of code is is super super small because they can't store that much data. So there isn't a ton of attack vectors comparatively to what I would say something like. Something like something like other contracts. So I would definitely say for your homework, if you know, learning about Ethereum, we kind of covered what is Ethereum. Smart contracts, we are now able to be used. Smart contracts are just little programs on a blockchain. Then we had staking, which is just securing the next phase of the Ethereum network, which able to get you kind of like a passive income similar to how a dividend or something like that would be with a company. And then we covered lending. So you're now able to be like a pooled financier. And then wrapping is bridging chains that don't have smart contract capabilities onto a chain that does. All right. So yes, look up those things. Brilliant. And I shall. And the other thing that has come out of this chat, Austin, is that it's demonstrated to me that crypto in certain respects is very, very much in its infancy as far Absolutely. as a structurally, a structure, structures in place. Yeah, there's, there's always um, a lot of confidence in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. I know Excellent. more now than when we started. <laughs> and I, we like I, have, I have more questions than when we started, which means you, it's a good sign. It's a good sign. Excellent. So we will catch you next week on Old Dog New Tricks. Like I said, do your homework. If you haven't bought that ledger or treasure, you know, check it out before we get into these things. And uh, we will see you next week. Have a great All week. All right. Thanks so much, Austin. See you guys.